Welcome to the Northern Outcast Outdoors Podcast. The Outcast. Powered by ANF Custom Calls. Veteran Innovative Products. You dialed in? I'm in. Yep. You ready, Mr. Collins? Yep, I'm ready. Alright, boys and squirrels, this is episode five. Correct. That is correct. It's episode five. We're on the front half of another double letter here. We got the Mooch, Chucky, and our good friend, the King of Kentucky, the Coyote Cowboy himself, John Collins. What is up, my man? Not much. How you guys doing? We're chilly, just like you said a minute ago here. Yeah, pretty brisk here. <laughs> so your most recent one, I just saw you You've been stacking bodies pretty steady. I mean, you posted what yesterday, I think, that you got another one. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple of little projects going on yesterday morning, and uh, we decided to go ahead and make a couple of coyote stands while we was out, so we was able to, able to knock one in, knock one down about six minutes in on our first stand, so. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Pretty dude, much one and done. Literally every night at work, it's, me and Jeff work together, it seems like he's like, dude, you see Colin's got another one, or I'm like, dude, you see that video he just posted? I mean, you absolutely crush dogs down there. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys uh, watching videos. It means a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're big fans. I, I'm recently a big fan, to be honest with you. I, I'm i not too big into what you had going on. I had no clue. But then I found out that you were part of Wired Outdoors. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. Yeah, I've been with Wired Outdoors probably eight or nine years now, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, I don't know if you know Doug Gardner. He's kind of uh, one uh, of the... Sure. Yeah, Doug. yeah, I used to work for Doug. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know Doug well. Yeah, yeah. I used to work for him uh at his tax firm and then uh uh-huh. you know, Jason Say and all them guys. Uh, I got to meet them at the they were they used to be the sponsor at the Camo Care shoot that we did. Oh, okay. Right. right. Yep, yep. And uh, I got to meet him and Kyle and that's a good good bunch of guys right there, man, and he killed a freaking slammer this year. Jason yeah, did. Yeah, J- Jason's, no Jason's actually my, you know, he's my boss, man. That's who I work for. So. Yep. Yeah, I, know all, I know all those guys very well. It's a funny connection that I found out on the fly, and then I started <laughs> watching your show, and, dude, that quad coyote kill, holy shit. I was shit. just about to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of those dream stands, and that's the reason you get out and uh, get up and go with them on a good chance to just for an opportunity to stand like there. I mean, all, all of us have watched the video multiple times. I don't know if you want to like go into a little detail about the story of that because it was pretty wild. Well, that particular stand, um, I had my good friend Corey Hager, which is uh, the owner of Hager Custom Rifles. He's, he's the man that uh, makes all the rifles that I've been shooting for the last several years. He used to try to take him out on you know, a few stands each and every year and was actually uh, going in to hunt that spot to uh, try to call up a bobcat. That's a really good bobcat hole right there, as you guys saw on the video. When we pan that uh, camera around, there's a huge thicket right off that edge of that uh, power line cut. And usually it's it's money for calling a cat out there every year. And I actually keep a trail camera in there through uh, uh, late fall through the winter just to try to see if there's cats in the area. And sure enough, I had a beautiful bobcat in there so that's what we was actually going after but it's also a pretty good pretty good stand for coyotes is what you guys just saw and we always kill coyotes <laughs> out there as well uh, but you know it was just kind of almost a I want to say a textbook stand uh, how everything happened but it, everything unfolded just right for us uh, you know, we had a coyote immediately like two minutes in the rabbit column 
come in almost back door just come in hard left right over our left shoulder run right up to the call actually just pretty much jumped right over top of the call of course it winded it uh got you know caught wind off the call when it got to it but we knocked that one down right off the bat uh running away Corey made an excellent shot uh we immediately switched to pup distress sounds and run in for about a minute and uh Decided it was so early in the stand, so I just switched back to uh, Rabbit. I said, I know there's a bobcat in here. Maybe we'll, you know, keep calling them. I get a coyote and a bobcat on the same stand. Switched back to Rabbit, and it wasn't less than a minute later. Here comes another coyote out. We knock it down. As soon as we knocked it down, we went right back to our puppy stresses. And, of course, <laughs> here come two more coyotes out. They just, they kept coming, so we kept shooting. And all the smoke <laughs> cleared, we had four coyotes out. <laughs> I follow, follow Corey Hagar, too. I mean, the rifles he makes for you are... I mean, the rifles he makes for everybody are incredible. I mean, yeah, their works are. I can't even call them a rifle. They're they're sick, dude. I mean, every every rifle he's built for me. I think I've got four. All four of them are quarter inch guns. I mean, they they're just absolute shooters. They perform and uh, and they're they're pretty they're pretty nice to look at too. Oh, good yeah. looking good looking pieces. That newest one he made you what was it the twenty two Creedmoor? I've actually yep, twenty two feet more from uh, last winter and he actually built me another one this past you know, this past season and I actually built a bigger caliber this uh, last time around, just mainly for big game hunting stuff, maybe a six point five PRC. Now have you compared that apples to apples to a Creedmoor? Is there like a huge difference to the Of course it's the same exact bullet, you know, the six point five, but uh, you know it but it's the PRC is kind of the magnum version of the Creedmoor. It's everything the Creedmoor is and a lot more. It's pretty much when the Creedmoor come out a few years ago, this is what they should have built was the PRC. <laughs> so it's uh it's shooting about two hundred and fifty feet per second faster than the Creedmoor is. So it's uh it's pretty pretty hot right now. Do you use a little bit heavier heavier projectile than you would with a six five Creedmoor? No, well, I mean, you know, you use every single round of turkey use and I'm using I've been shooting uh 140s, 143s, and 147 grain bullets along with still the same common bullets that uh, you see from the 6.5 Creedmoor, except just, just quite a bit faster. I've had my best results with the 140 grains out of my 6.5. It seemed the heavier mm-hmm. I got, it wasn't holding that flatness like outside of 200 right. yards for me. Right, right. What's the effective range on that, John? Because I saw you smash that coyote at like 300 yards on the one video. <laughs> on, on the on the 6.5 PRC. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, you know, it's a legit thousand yard gun. Which you know, you hear about people shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor, a thousand yard ringing steel and stuff like that. So, like I said, it's pretty much everything that's a Creedmoor is and more. Uh, which, my wife you know, I usually don't use it. Is this deer recordings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better not be buying another one. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And it's got it's got some knockdown power too. I mean it just oh, yeah. absolutely annihilates those dogs. <clears throat> it does. And of course we won't use that that much, the PRC much for coyotes, and we've killed a few with it just playing around kinda of getting trigger time on the gun. But the gun we're using the most is the twenty two pre born. It's yeah. it's it's pretty bad news for a coyote as well. I didn't really know that was a caliber until you post that video of it. And I was like, I've never heard of a 22 Creedmoor before. Yeah. Of course, the 22 is, it's basically your 6.5 Creedmoor just necked down to a 224 caliber. Um, I'm basically shooting a 80 grain 22 caliber bullet at almost the same exact speed that I was shooting a 55 grain bullet out of a 22 
That's so, silly. You know, I'm shooting 34 feet, like 3,450 feet per second with an 80 grain bullet out of a 22 grain. So, you know, absolutely devastated coyote. So. That's silly. Does that like compare pretty close to like a 224 Valkyrie? It's, it's even, it's hotter than the Valkyrie. Bigger cartridge. That's badass. I'm jealous. You guys are outside of my language at this point. <laughs> yeah, like like the the Valkyrie was pretty much 100% really designed for like AR platform rifles. Yeah, and uh, of course the the 22 Creed you shoot them in boats. They can shoot those in ARs, and, and uh, it's it's a more well rounded uh, well rounded cartridge. After I saw you shooting, I actually went online and tried to find some because I was like, dude, what is this thing he's shooting? This is wild, and then. I couldn't find anything anywhere except for Port Hagar. Yeah, they're, they're, it's a, they're, the only way you can get one of those is a custom deal. You know, okay. it's not a factory offering yet, but I think it'll be one of the next, uh, factory, uh, small caliber car, you know, 22 caliber cartridges that'll probably hit the mainstream market. You know, whenever they get the Sandy spec straightened out for that kind of stuff and start building more companies, start building ammo. A lot of the big companies already, uh, like making brass or Horner DRA makes brass for it and stuff. So it's, it's, you know, out there in the future, it'll be out there as a, uh, factory. I'm sure. If we ever make it out of this ammo shortage we're in right now. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. God bless the hand loaders. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> hey, John, if you want to give him a shout out where anybody can find, uh, his site and order a custom gun like the one you got, you, we might as well get that out of the way now, right? <laughs> so we don't forget at the end. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, Best way to, to get in touch with him is just through Facebook, Corey Hager, or you can find him at Corey Hager on Instagram. He does have a win, uh, website in development, and I think it's going to be Hager Custom. I think it's going to be HagerCustoms.com, but it's not live yet. So but just try to get in touch with him through social media or holler at me. I'll just look up. Awesome. Well, I want to get into the hunting aspect. I, I kind of want to break it down. Now, you're out of Kentucky, as we mentioned in the beginning of this one. I, I kind of want to know what your typical field edge setup is, because watching some of your videos, it actually surprised me. I wouldn't have set up the way you did, just as like right on the edge of a field or something. So if you want to just right. kind of break down your typical setup, I think well, that'd be cool. I do like, I do like to call the open areas. Open fields. I hunt a lot of cattle country in Kentucky. Uh, so it's more like beef cattle type country and some crop country too, you know, corn and soybeans. Um, there really isn't what I would call a typical setup. A lot of the setups I'm doing is from, uh, is from scouting areas out well. You know, I already know that there's coyotes there either from locating coyotes at night and then going back in the next day and getting on them. Or finding pictures that, uh, on trail cameras that I've had out. We're talking to deer hunters that deer hunt the places that I have access to coyote hunt. Or, uh, from the landowners themselves, you know, these landowners and farmers spend more time on a particular piece of property than anybody else does. I like to keep close contact with those guys. You know, I'll ask them, I see them out. I've seen or heard any coyotes lately. If they have, I want to know exactly where they've seen them, exactly where they heard them. If they saw them, I want to know Hey, you have a good idea where that coyote came from? And if the coyote ran off, where did he go to? And all that intel can really, really pay off. So if I've got a particular landowner telling me they, they see coyotes come in and out of a particular woodlot or ticket, uh, I usually wait till I get my wind right, uh, in accordance to where I want to set up. 
Uh, like I said, I like to set up in the open area, so I'll crowd that thicket in the open area. Usually try to set up with a crosswind and just crowd that area as much as I can without uh, bumping animals out of there. Um, get to call them, get them up there and kill them. It's basically that. Uh, it, <laughs> one way is pretty simple, and another way is pretty strategic as well. Um, I have the comment, just like you know what you asked me earlier, you know, and how you get those coyotes out by open. Well, any coyote that's ever walked is going to hit an open field at some point in their life. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not one of those deals that it's, I'm not really doing anything groundbreaking, I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you can call coyotes out in open areas. I do it every week. Okay. And not just in Kentucky, either. I don't know across the country. Yeah. I want to get them out in the open. It's, it's better filming for us. You know, we, we film a TV show and, uh, plus you get to see the animal. It's, you know, timber, timber calling can be, Extremely effective, and a lot of people do it and have a lot of luck with it. We just do it as well. That when we started filming, but there's still a lot of guys that do it and get done every time they go out. Basically, yeah. You have a lot of close encounters with your call as well. Are you ever brushing that in? I mean, if it's super open, are you ever kind of making like a? I noticed the one, and I don't know if it was just pure coincidence, but it seemed like you had a small brush of like grasses kind of just in front of the call from where you expected the coyote to come Wait, from. Was that just? Uh, a hunt just a few days ago, or a couple weeks ago, released me and my brother killed a double. Yep, from, that's right. Yeah. That's the one. That that was a uh, see. That's a spot that I've had scouted out, and uh, I've learned a lot how the coyotes approach on that place because I've been calling it for a few years for coyotes. Every time you call a coyote up, uh, they like to come from a one certain area off that back side of that field. Is just a big hillside that leads down to a creek. And that hillside is wooded and, and it's thick. They have logged like. Years ago, so it's full of treetops and areas that opened back up or grew up in briars and stuff. So it's just nasty. It's perfect habitat for, for predators. So I know that's where they bed up. And I set up to hunt that place accordingly. Usually, I always hunt that place with a crosswind and are just like a little divot in that field, like a little drain sort of thing in that field. You probably noticed uh, almost like a little V notch. And, Usually I can set my call up either to the left of that little notch in the field or to the right, depending on what my crosswind is. And usually coyotes will come right down that notch. Probably heard on the video, if you watched it and just kind of listen to what we were saying, I told my brother, I said, just point your gun right there to the right of that call in that notch. Those coyotes will come out and suck to the down one side. You want to move the gun. And that's exactly what he did. He never moved his gun. <laughs> coyote crossed right from his gun barrel. I howled at it to stop. It stopped. I said, kill it, we kill it. But the deal about that brush you saw there, that was a, a hay field. When we were set up against hay bales, what happened when I walked out there to set the call up, I noticed a piece of a windrow of hay from back in the fall uh, that the hay baler had picked up. So I purposely took that, mm-hmm. put my boot, and just balled that up, like just scooted it with my boot to ball that water hay up to make it just fluffy there. And I just nudged my call right up against it. Of course, yeah. it got some right in. So I saw you switched over to the new Fox Pro. Is it the X? Uh, I'm running the X24. X24. Yes. What were you running before that? Uh, before the X24, I actually ran the two newer uh, X-Wave and X2S. I've got all three of the you know, all three of those units. And then uh, before that, uh, the two years previous to that, I was running the uh, CS24C and the Shockwave quite a bit. Shockwave was the big one that like folded out like two speakers. Mm-hmm. Is that the one? How, yes, sir. How do you like this new the X twenty four compared to the, 
the newer, st- the older stuff just, I mean, it came out what last year, I think last summer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. They come, well, actually came out, uh, X2S and X-Wave came out this past winter. Uh, we were running them this time last year. Then the X24, uh, units rolled on out, like you said, probably, uh, early summer, late spring. Um, I like all those units missing, even the CS24Cs, the Shockwaves, the older units. Uh, the Shockwave, uh, like I said, the call that it's, it's a four speaker design. It's got, you know, two on each side that fold out a horn type speaker and a tweeter on each side. Um, you know, that call was one of the calls that's kind of ahead of its time. That thing's been out since like 2012 or 13 or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, it's still state of the heart pretty much. You know, it's still a favorite among a lot of predators on it. But I absolutely love that call. And I use the CS24C a lot as well. The reason I like the CS20, reason I would go between the CS24C and the Shockwave before was the CS24C was a 24-bit capable output caller. So all the sounds would come out with 24 bits. Where everybody, every other unit uh, out there was 16-bit. Now, my ears couldn't tell the difference between <laughs> a 16-bit sound and a 24-bit sound. But I don't know if a coyote can tell the difference or not. So I always like to run the highest quality possible. And I could run that CS24C extremely loud with howls, all your different vocals and stuff, and they make the form great. Uh, now, and that's when I would mainly run that call was when I was running vocals. And then when I was kind of switched back to where I knew I was going to be running more prey distress type sounds, like my rabbit sounds, bird distress and stuff like that, I would switch back to the shockwave. Now, the reason I would do that is because it had the tweeters. Uh, seemed like the tweeters in association with the two larger speakers just kind of give a more dynamic range to cover more of the high tones and low tones in your rabbit distresses and your bird distresses. So I was kind of like one of those deals. I would run two different calls, but when you would send me running the CS24C, I was mainly running vocals. When you send me running a shockwave, I was mainly running prey distress. Now with this new call, the X24 is 24-bit capable as well, but when they come out this new unit, it has a tweeter inside of it. The OCS24C unit, it was just a horn with no tweeter. Now I've got kind of the best of both worlds. That X24 doesn't look like it has a tweeter in it either. It kind of just looks like just a horn. Right, yep. It looks just like a horn, but right there in the middle of your horn, it's it's got a tweeter. Yeah, that thing's badass. Jeff, what are you running? Uh, I got an old Firestorm. This thing's ancient, but it's still going. Hey, so. hey I used to run yeah. a Firestorm. I feel a ton of stuff to a Firestorm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine's got so many. It's been a little weathered, so it's starting to crackle a little bit when I get it up to 20, but it's still going, so I'm going to run the brakes off it. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you happen to notice like an uptick whenever you switch to the 24-bit? Did you happen to like call out more coyotes that maybe... Uh, well, you know, probably... Probably not, you know, that's the thing, I I'm still have, you know, I have just as much success when I run the other units that are not 24-bit, so that's kind of what I was saying, you know, I yeah. can't tell the difference, and I don't know for sure if uh, the coyotes and bobcats can tell the difference either, but I don't know, it's just one of those things with me, the reason I run it is just, you know, if you've got the option to run one that has a little bit better, you know, more audio output, why not run it? Yeah, especially in open country like you have. I mean, there's a little bit more outreach. 
What about for cats? I mean, is that better for cats if it's a little better quality? Uh, again, you know, again, uh, I don't know if they can tell the difference. I've, yeah. See, like the shockwave calls, they're 16 deep. And I've killed a ton of cats with a shockwave. Uh, we've called them with a CS24, which is 24 bit, but it doesn't have the cleater. So I don't know. You know, yeah. it's like I said, I can't tell you that it actually makes a difference or not, but it sure does make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one that they killed, uh, a guy on your channel killed those two, uh, gray foxes? Was that the shockwave? Or what call was that? Do, uh, do you remember? That, that was the X-wave. That's the oh, actual, okay. that's like the big brother to the shockwave. So it's kind of got the same speaker design as the yeah, X-wave. Yeah, that's what I just got two of them. Well, speaking of coyotes, I'm mean, <laughs> German Shepherds one, not so nice. <laughs> but that X, that X-24 unit is the only unit that is produced currently for this 24-bit cable. And uh, like I said, I run it just in case something can tell the difference. It might come to it that really would come to something else. Whether that actually happens, I couldn't tell you for yeah. sure. But, you know, why not run a little bit better quality if you have the option? Oh, absolutely. Do you get more uh, sounds out of with the 24-bit? you have like a deeper library, I guess? Well, see, Fox Pro, if you go to their site, go foxpro.com and look at your sound library, all their Mark II sounds in the sound library are 24-bit. Uh, now, you can put those sounds on a lot of the units, the X-Waves, the X-2Us, the Shockwave, you know, and several other units that you can actually put the 24-bit sounds on, but the output, the output of the unit is 16-bit. That makes sense to you. Yeah, but you can you still, still get use the same those. sound. It's just the, the bit difference on the output. Gotcha. gotcha. So while like we're I on said, calls, I listen to them. I can't tell the difference. But can a coyote? Yeah. I don't know. While we're on calls, John, uh, maybe break down. I, I see you using a lot of cagey cottontail. I want to break. I want you to break down kind of your sequence of your calling because it seems like you're on the fly changing it a lot too, especially like after the shot. So you might yep. switch to like a, a pup distress or something. You can you break that down, kind of what your mindset is there? Well, my mindset for sounds and sound sequences kind of change all all through the year. Uh, you know, there's sounds that I'm running right now that I won't run uh, come springtime and early summer. So I'm constantly, and then just the same when it comes to late summer, early fall. You know, my sounds and sequences will change again. And then it'll change later in the fall and early winter. Uh, so I think it's one of the things you kind of got to understand what kind of, uh, pattern that the coyotes are in at the time. Uh, you know, what kind of, uh, what part of their life they're in. It's just like, um, the spring months and early summer through the summer months, coyotes are in and they're putting, they've got pups in the ground. They're raising their pups. So I don't hardly ever run any type of, of prey distresses through spring and summer months. It's all coyote vocals. Uh, it's howls, uh, small puppy sounds, you know, like your little bit old whines and chirps and stuff like that that you hear puppies make. And then when it gets later into the summer, I'm, I'm kind of gra- gravitate away from the smaller puppy sounds and start using the larger, more frantic sounding sounds like pup distress number three and the pup screams and stuff like that. Um, and then come fall, I'm starting to mix in my prey distresses. So it all depends on the time of year. It'll depend on a particular stand. Uh, it really depends on a lot of stuff. But just like, uh, say, a basic stand right now here in the dead of winter, here in February, 
a lot of coyotes throughout the country, they've slipped into the breeding season or fixing to if they have not. So they're actually responding to a lot of sound. There's less food out there right now. So they're, like I said, they respond to a lot. They respond to a lot of prey distress stuff, and they're doing a lot of territorial uh, breeding type stuff too. We'll get them to come. So I'm usually starting my stands off this time of year with just a little bit of prey distress. I do like cagey cottontail. Uh, what I have been running here lately is actually baby cottontail. I've been running for the last couple of weeks. And the reason I'm running those sounds is just I'll run them at, at kind of like a 50% type volume uh, for, say, just three or four or five minutes just to see if there's something close that's hung. You know, like I said, it's it's wintertime. There's less food. It's kind of a hunk. Uh, it's cold. They need more energy to, to, you know, to get through the day. So I can't get nothing to come to the prey distress to the rabbit. Then I'll start switching to my howls uh, and other sounds. Like I said, it's it's the breeding season. Uh, I'm doing a lot of female howls. I'll usually let out a few of those howls, and then I'll sit there and wait for a couple minutes. If nothing responds to that, then I'll start mixing in female whines, female whimpers, which are all breeding-type sounds. Then I'll mix in short bursts of pup distress sounds. We're trying to kind of create that uh, story out there that two coyotes have met up, and uh, we're trying to... We're trying to celebrate Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. I mean, we're going to put all these tactics to test tonight. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're really trying to get one down. <laughs> yeah, we are actually hey, going out if, tonight after if this. I was, if I was going out tonight, yeah. just like I said, I'd take your favorite, you know, your favorite uh, rabbit distress. I'd, let, I'd give it to them for a few minutes, see if something will come. If nothing comes, start giving them vocals. I'd let out, uh, let out some female howls. Four or five howls, wait for two or three minutes, say if something's going to respond to it. They don't start going out like 30 and 45 second burst of, uh, female whimpers and run on the backside of it, just something like puff screams or puff three for just about 20 or 30 seconds and go right back to whimpers. It'll, you'll call coyotes in up there. Write that down. I wrote it down. What are you doing? <laughs> How long do you usually wait on the stand before you just get on to the next one? Uh, this time of year, I will wait a little bit longer, and that's, that's again, just like what I was saying earlier when I was rambling on. So lunch, I know it's horrible this to me sometimes, but <laughs> it depends on the time of year. This time of year is when I am making more of a longer stand, and a lot of times my longer stands are short stands for other people, so I'm usually making about a 20 to 25 minute stand, uh, in February. How long is too long to let, uh, like a prey distress, like if you were running your, you know, baby cottontail, how long would you let that go typically before, like, it's like, okay, it's not realistic anymore. That seems like a, seems like something we always like look at each other, like, dude, shut that off. (laughs) You know, I don't know if there's any right or wrong answers to that, you know, uh, but me, typically, when I'm running prey distress sounds, I'm usually only running four to six minutes a piece, sometimes less. That's way longer than we run. Extend of it. But I'm not afraid to wait a minute. Say I run that baby cocktail for six minutes. Uh, depending on the stand, I might wait for 30 seconds to a minute and then start up with a total different prey distress, like more of an adult-type cottontail distress or something like that. And I'll run it for four to six minutes. Now, will you run those like back to back? Like as soon as that baby cottontail shuts off, you're switching to the other one then for another five yep. minutes? Yep, yep. Certain, certain stands I will. See, that's something that I don't think we've ever done, but we also, you know, suck at it, so. <laughs> See, that's, uh, that's usually, that's usually my typical bobcat type stand. 
I'll usually run three to four different crater stresses on a bobcast. Uh, usually I'm running, say, for example, we're just talking about baby cottontail. I might start with a baby cottontail run for four to six minutes. Nothing shows up. I'll pause it for 30, 40, 30 to 45 seconds, maybe in a minute. And then, then hit, like, say, adult cottontail. And I'll run it for four to six minutes out. Nothing shows up. I'll do the same thing. I'll switch it up to, uh, say a snowshoe hare type sound. Snowshoe hare HP from October River. Do the same thing. Then I'll close with something like jackrabbit or lightning jack. And the reason I'm doing it like that, I'm actually building deep sound and intensity. You know, that baby cottontail, just that type sound. And then you switch to a adult cottontail. So it's kind of the same sound, but it's rasp. So you build some intensity. Then I might go to a snowshoe, which is even more intense than, you know, see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what I'll find with these, these bobcats, we're usually calling in every single one of our bobcats in under eight minutes. Okay. So, you know, it's one of those things people think that bobcat, you got to stay on bobcat stand for 45 minutes as you see, not, not the case with the type stands I make. So usually they're showing up here in that first sound, but if they're not, if they don't show up in that first sound, they almost always show up within a minute of us switching to that second sound. Why that happens, I don't know. And if they're not showing up in that first minute to that second sound, guess what? They're showing up in the first minute to the third sound. There's something about switching sounds on bobcats that might trigger. Okay. Because when you switch sounds, it's that little bit of pause, that new sound starts up, it seems like they just almost run in like a coyote at those times. That building intensity, I think you're saying, gets them out of the wood line. Yeah, and if you watch any of our bobcat videos, that's another thing. We're calling these bobcats out right in a wide open. You know, we killed, I we killed three bobcats this year within feet of the call. Oh, I remember the one video you posted it. I think it was, I think it was in summer, that one that came right to your left. I mean, it was like 10 yards. Mm-hmm. Like you had to like, yep. you know, do a 90 degree turn and blast that thing. And yep. Yep. <laughs> the bobcats up here, I don't know how your guys' season works down there, but like in PA, it's kind of stupid. We get like two week season. And I think you, it's a right, month, but is it a month? But you, yeah. we have to buy this like crazy tag and <laughs> right. you know, go through all of these, you know, loops because PA right. is awesome like that. Yep. Um, you know, I come up to PA a few times a year. I've never called for bobcats up there, but of course I've talked to, talked to guys up there. Yeah, I know about the short season and stuff. That, that hurts a little bit. You're only allowed one. You're only allowed one cat, too. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, they're not so as common. Like, I, I can count on one hand how many times I've seen them in the wild myself up here. Right. So, I don't right. know if it's more prevalent down your way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I don't know if we actually have more cats or not. We do have a more liberal season. It comes in the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It runs all the way through the end of February. Oh, no kidding. Now, we do have a limit. You're allowed three cats allowed to hunt three cats in Kentucky, and uh, I was lucky enough to tag out in the first month in December. No kidding. But, uh, it's um, it's still one of those things. Like you, okay, I usually tag out, almost tag out every year. The uh, last two years I've tagged out. Uh, so I kill quite a few cats through my predator hunting life. And now you take my dad, for instance, he's 66 years old, and uh, he's seen one bobcat his entire life. <laughs> And I'm killing these bobcats off the places he's farmed for the last uh, 50 years. That's incredible. So, you see what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah. they're kind of secretive. You don't really see them out there, but they're there. 
The only time I ever slept before the first time I ever slept saw one, saw one. I was only 12. I was hunting deer with my dad and they got a hold of a freaking raccoon, like maybe 50 yards to the right of us. And I still right. had nightmares about the noise that thing made when I was getting turned inside <laughs> out. But it's kind of crazy how secretive they are. So you're just like talking about my dad, you know, I'll kill one or something. You know, I'll be down at the farm asking if he had any luck of the year to go bobcat in the back of the truck. I want to check it out. And we're looking at it and said, where'd this cat come from? I said, no, off such and so place back here. And he said, what? He said, there ain't no bobcat. I ain't never seen a bobcat or heard. I said, well, that makes like the third one I put off the last four years. <laughs> <laughs> and he's on the place every single day, you know, basically his whole life. He's never seen cats on it. And I kill cats off of it every year. Too, so My buddy man. swears he found a damn up our, by my camp up in the, in the big woods. He swears by it. We were going through pushing late season for deer and he said there were tracks all over the place going in and out. So it's very possible. Very yeah, possible. Yeah. That's where I saw that one. It was just, I was scouting turkey in, I think, March, and it like just snowed on the ground, and I just caught a flash like 200 yards up in front of me that ran across this road, and I ran up, and I go, what the hell tracks are these? And then I took a picture, and I was like, son of a bitch, it's a bobcat. Bobcat, yeah. Did I see a video of you eating a bobcat backstrap before? Oh, yeah. We, we That's what I thought. <laughs> You yeah, are, in fact, the ultimate predator. <laughs> <laughs> usually, usually about all the female bobcats we kill are usually eat them. They're, they're actually pretty good. They, they're very similar to the taste and texture. It's very similar to pork. Uh, kind of like pork loin. Yeah. So it's, uh, they're definitely worth eating the meat off of. Now, even the smaller, uh, toms and stuff, they're pretty good too. The only thing I'd, I warn you to stay away from is the bigger toms. If you ever kill a pretty good sized tom, you know, it's up to mid twenties or bigger. Uh, probably ain't no sense keeping the meat on them. They kind of, kind of taste like how happy it smells. If I'm allowed to say that type of thing. You, have, you absolutely are. Company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are explicit. We're a little more liberal on this podcast. <laughs> so how'd you figure that out? How did I figure out the taste? Yeah. <laughs> by, by try, by try, well, uh, I can't tell you I don't have what cat piss smells like. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> but if you, you know how you get a big old nose full of something, you can almost taste it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's kind of what I'm talking about. So. Well, Renella kind of made the mountain lion craze and beaver, I guess, for that matter, too, the last couple of years. But all the Western guys, like, that's the new thing yeah, is to eat mountain beaver's lion. Beaver's good, man. You I ever heard had beaver, it? smoked beaver ham is exceptional. I beaver is good. I've never had mountain lion, but. Yeah, they say the same they, thing. They on the say mountain. I've never had mountain lion, but from the guys I know that have, find people that eat mountain lion, they, they take bobcat as well, and they say it's similar. So I've actually been told if people knew how good bobcat tasted, there'd be a hell of a lot less bobcats out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that uh, even with a lot of people that kill them, they even, they'll never eat them. It's kind of one of those things that's just they can't get past the thought of it, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's, it makes a pretty good table fare. That's a good story, if nothing else. Make some General Tso's chicken. <laughs> Never a surprise at the end. <laughs> hey, this by the way. <laughs> free range, General yeah. Tso's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Free range, exactly. So, wow. kind of going back, I, I want to know something. You mentioned about, like, the, the hows. So, once you get a response, you mentioned, then, then you just kind of go to, like, the whimper, right? But what if, what if you get one that, that hangs up and, 
you know, you can hear him, but he's just out. Because where we hunt, I mean, it's not as open. Yeah. There, We might be yeah. hunting a big field, but it's really thick and brushy around right. the edges. A lot of plays in the hills that you might not be able to see them. How do you how do you get them to close that distance? Well, it's, uh, you know, everything, you know, I get a lot of questions throughout the year, pain of stuff like that. Every situation is, well, situational. You know, every stand has got its own circumstances, you know, whether wind direction, you know, the lay of the land, uh, population of predators in there, you know, all that stuff kind of plays, plays a role. You know, when I say for a coyote to respond to a howl, you know, they can respond in different ways. They can either howl back, like you were just saying, or another way they respond is running in. And I'd much rather see one just come running to a howl <laughs> as the howl back, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times when I'm saying respond, I don't get a ton of vocal responses. I mean, I do. Uh, I'm not saying I don't, I don't never. But a lot of times when I'm saying, See, have one respond. It's actually see one emerge out of the thicket or woods coming through the call. So a lot of the coyotes that I actually call in with howls do not howl back. So you know it, it doesn't bother me too bad if I let her howl out enough answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. Now if one does howl back, like you're at, like you're asking, uh, that's great too because you know you've actually got a coyote there, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So my next step, all depends on how that coyote held back to you. Kind of got to just uh, under takes a little bit of understanding of uh, of their language. Now I don't really know what they're saying, but it depends on how they held back. Like if one howls back very aggressive, like he, he sounds like he's mad, that's when I'll usually I'll usually howl back at him again. Either it's the same howl I've ran I've ran, or switch to another another howl that's kind of aggressive uh, sounding, and usually that can get them. Uh, kind of ticked off and, and come in with that, uh, you know, they're aggressive. They, if they've held back at you aggressively, you know, as part of their territory, they're going to come try to run another coyote out of their territory. Sure. Now, if I have a coyote that howls back and it's kind of just a lazy, you know, hey, I'm here type howl, usually I do not howl back at those coyotes. I might go back to a rabbit distress. Okay. Um, or play light volume pup distress type, saying, you know, mixing in the two. So I kind of handle them different. If I've got a lazy type howl just saying, hey, I'm over here, how you doing? I'll run some more prey distress at them and some light pup distress. And those more aggressive responses, I'll get aggressive right back with them with loud, aggressive type howls, and, and I'll give them pup distress as well if they don't show up. But I, the pup distress will be a lot louder. Uh, fight type sounds, growls, and pup distress is at you know, three-quarter volume or full volume as compared to... 50% okay. I have one hunt that just like burned into my mind forever. I was out there with my dad and of course we had no clue what we were doing. It's probably my first time ever trying to kill coyotes and we were running the howler and I mean there was six or seven if not you know eight of them just howling all back returning and they were kind of split up too so if, if you get that situation where you have one kind of off to your left hand side one kind of off to your right hand side they're all howling you know what's the next move there? Well, that's kind of, you know, it's still situational at the same time. And that's another thing going back to like, the previous question. If I have a, a coyote at house, the first thing I'm thinking about too, one of the first things I'm thinking about is how far off is that? Okay. You know, if that coyote is howling out there at uh, six or 700 yards, you know, way out there, I'm moving. I'm getting up and trying to cut the distance, okay? 
Now, if that coyote's howling within 400 yards, he's close enough to come, right? So, uh, you know, when you get them split up left and right, you know, that's, that's going to be tough. Flip so, a coin. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, you just keep, if they're both close enough to, to come in, you know, you just got to use this one. You know, I'll probably run. You know, it's just one of those things. You don't know if there's two different groups. <laughs> you don't know if it's um, a breeding pair or a mating pair that's split up. You know, that's the females on one side and the males on the other. You know, a lot of times when it's like that, they're part of the same family group or whatever. Usually about anything can get them. You know, prey distresses. Like you start running rabbit distress. One coyote thinks it's brother, it's sibling, or it's mate. It's caught a, caught a rabbit, so they want to run there and have part of it too. Uh, or running your pup distresses or pipe type sounds. They might think their partner or sibling is, uh, uh, is in trouble and they come around them in. So there's a lot of different things you can do. And I know there's, I mean, I've been in the same situation myself and I'll phone everything in the book at them and I don't show up. And sometimes you just do something real simple and they both come running in and kill both of them and feel like the greatest coyote hunter in the world and you figure <laughs> all the secrets out. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, kind of, if I knew everything about coyotes, you know, it'd make my job a lot easier. Yeah. That's just, it's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's, I do a lot of rambling on. You guys have probably figured that out for now. But coyotes, cause that's usually the way my mind's working when I'm on coyote stands too. It's just rambling. Hey, should I do this? Should I do that? And I'm sick of this and my, myself constantly as well. And, you know, just gotta try to find a certain things that work in certain situations. But yeah, I've been there too. And I don't really think there's any right or wrong answer to that. Uh, usually my first deal is to throw a prey distress out there. And hopefully something comes to it. If nothing, then I'll start using the pup stuff and some bites and growls and keep going back to the pups. Just hopefully they, uh, one of the, one of the deals triggers. Yeah, I actually had two coyotes come in on my trail camera last night at about one in the morning. Went right in front, so hopefully we can get on them tonight. I mean, it's they're probably I've had pictures in the last couple of weeks of them. It looks like they're doing mating stuff, but I honestly have no clue. Well, it's it's time. It's okay. time. So yeah, we're in it then tonight, boys. Yeah, we gotta go out at night and like do Navy SEAL shit. And you just shoot them in broad daylight every time. <laughs> 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 the broad daylight makes for better video yeah, it does too. Well. I and mean, we do have night vision on ours, but we're yet to get one on camera at night. We got some pretty wild stuff though on the night vision. The oh, one really? night, oh, we some of the sounds we got. We had a pack. This was how many summers ago was that, Jeff? Was that last summer? Or summer? Summers, we had a uh, we were hunting a uh, like a cattle farmer's beef cattle, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. we got down between the two pastures, and we were just being idiots. And had one crawling across the road, so he hit a hit a howl right there, and this whole pack. Went. I mean, it looked creepy. It sounded creepier because you're watching it on night vision. Jeff turned around, and it sounded like you know a body was getting exercised in the tree line over there. And I like you know grabbed my pistol and put the camera down. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was ready, after, ready for ready for the worst. Well, after they made that noise, I mean, they couldn't have been twenty yards from us, you know, just inside the trees, and then that was it. Never heard him again. Yeah. I caught your scent. Yeah, it was pretty freaky. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of scent, that hurt. That hurts not only when you don't have them that close, you still don't get a shot opportunity. I, I wasn't even sure if it was a coyote still at that point. The noise that it made, because me and him looked at each other like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> Could have been raccoon, man. I've heard them make some crazy noises too. Oh, there was like five or six of them. Yeah. So I see you uh, wearing a lot of carbon layered scent control stuff when you're out there. Is that that's a big regiment for you whenever you're going out and hunting predators? No, I mean uh, 
usually the reason I'm running up, I'm wearing those clothes is it's, uh, you know, I wear a lot of blocker, uh, mm-hmm. outdoors clothing. Now, it's mainly because I like the fit of it. Okay. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the scent control part of it. It's not that I don't pay attention to scent control. I don't want to go out there smelling all the answer or nothing, but I'm, I'm just 100% hunting the wind. Wind in my face, hunting across me. You know, uh-huh. No matter what, you just can't fool a coyote's nose. So the way I go in and stand is basically I just want to make sure my wind's not blowing for me to where, where I think a coyote's at. And I want to be able to shoot wherever my downwind is. I want to be able to do that the coyote circles that way. I just want to be able to shoot before you get there. So basically, you know, I've wore scent lock stuff too in the past. It's usually just it's because I like the fit. You know, I really, really enjoy their clothing. They fit me just right. And, uh, stuff's tough, you know. <laughs> I make a lot of stands throughout the year, so I need something that can, that can hold up, do a lot of traveling, so. I spend a lot of days out there, out there hunting, so I just need something that, that can keep up with me and last, and that's the clothing that, that I, that, you know, that I just wear, just because it, uh, it needs to be it. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of the same way. We, I mean, I've switched out. Thing, yeah. I used to be like guru on scent control, and lately mm-hmm. I've, I've more or less switched out for comfort. Rather than yeah. than scent and, because it and, and, I and that's the thing difference. too. That's how I got to running or wearing scent lock and stuff is because I'm a deer hunter as well. Love yeah. to deer hunt, deer hunt in several states, and I am a I am a scent freak when it comes to whitetail hunting. Uh, because you know, especially when you're bow hunting, you get coat, you know, you get uh, deer in close. You know, they can if, if you don't practice scent control, a deer will smell you even with the wind in your favor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. You gotta, you gotta take care of your scent control on while you're deer hunting. And plus, deer kind of react a little bit different to scent. You can have a wind swirl, the deer come in range, uh, with proper scent control. You can get away with a few extra seconds. It might make the difference in killing that deer or not killing it. So that's kind of how I got started wearing scent lock and blocker and stuff. And I like the fit and durability of it so well. I just never switched out of it, you know, because wear it for everything. Yeah, we were talking about coyotes, but uh you do shoot some donkey whitetails and you do smash the turkeys too for sure. Yeah, it's uh you know, I seems like I'm more known as a predator hunter. Oh yeah. You know, you know when people ask me, you know, I'm I'm just a hunter, you know, I like going after all of it, so really enjoy just enjoy being outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that impressed me on your videos too was how many and I would have never thought of this, but how many like doubles and triples and after you shoot the first one, you just keep calling. And yep. sure enough, another one just shows up. Like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that goes into that amazing custom rifle you have with, you know, the suppressed. But uh, it, also, I would never thought to do that. Like, I would have probably just jumped up and, and went after it. But right. what, how, I mean, how long really are you sitting there after the fact? Or is it just playing it by property? If you know there's a pretty high population of coyotes, yeah. or is it time of year too? Yeah, well, it, you know, it, again, going back to what I said earlier, what I've said multiple times is, you know, everything, every stand situation. But, uh, I learned a long time ago earlier in my predator calling life, uh, just like what you said, I'd call a coyote up, kill it, and I'd be woohooing and five yeah. my buddy or cousin or myself, <laughs> you know, celebrating. And, uh, next thing I know, I'm looking up there and they on coyote running away. <laughs> or, I'm walking out there to get the call. I walk out there to cow, beat up a cow, gets cut. And I'm like, why in the world? Why don't I sit there and keep calling? And so that's kind of just how that, you know, hopefully you're calling in multiples at the same time. You're seeing two or three cows run in. 
all together, then it's simple. You know you've got more coyotes to keep calling to. But, uh, yeah, if I call a coyote up, and it don't matter what time of year it is, and when I shoot it, it, the stand's still not over. You know, I'm still thinking, you know, hey, there's probably another coyote in here. Or there's another two coyotes in here. Uh, especially this time of year when there's a lot of coyotes that's, that's made it up, paired up. If you call a single in, you better keep calling because you're probably going to be calling a second one out. Okay. Uh, same thing for uh, the fall months. Say like uh, November, especially October, uh, November, December. A lot of times when you're calling the coyote, you're calling in, especially if it's like calling in kind of a younger type coyote. Keep calling because that coyote is part of a family group. You know, just right there in the inside the wood line might be uh, its siblings, brothers and sisters who's all still playing together, and maybe mommy and daddy with them too. So it's always an opportunity. Just like the quad we killed the other day, what that was is a family group. All those coyotes were siblings. Uh, there was there was one <clears throat> big male in the group. I think it was probably he was probably their dad, and the rest of them were brothers and sisters. Yeah, just like that five that came in too on the one video. Exactly, that yep. was a family group of coyotes. What that probably was, was mommy and daddy and three three yearlings. Probably is what that was. Yeah, yeah, that was another badass video too. <laughs> And they're just hopping through the field there. Uh, I like the one cool. that went down and, and crashed in the creek, and you see the water <laughs> yeah, splash did up. Yeah. <laughs> did, did, that, did the swan dive in the creek. <laughs> Nose first. <laughs> I, n- I don't know. If, is our Fox Pro one of the ones that, like, if you shoot, it picks up the gunshot, and it'll, like, automatically yeah, do the pop switch. distress? Yeah. Okay, see, that's what I was wondering, because I noticed in his videos a lot after the shot, it seems like it goes to either pop distress or cagey uh, cotton tail, and it gets louder. I don't know if that's, like, you know... Something that's that usually just <clears throat> that's just me keeping my hand on the call. That's what I figured. I actually uh, don't run the um, fox bang on my units, and the reason I don't run it is because I shoot suppressed, mm-hmm. and the suppressor when you shoot suppressed, it won't make the fox bang go off. That uh, you know that bang, that percussion right there, it's a remote doesn't hit. It's the not there for to make it trigger. So okay. I just keep it turned off. Because I don't need it, you know. I mean, because it's not going to go off anyway. So I just keep my fingers. I've always got the remote in my hand, yeah, either my left or right hand. Uh, so I can always switch right on the fly with whatever the situation, you know, whatever needs to be. Whether switching to a pup distress or ramping volume up or down or, or mm-hmm. what, what have you. So. And you're setting those like preset before you go into the hunt. Mm-hmm. You kind of have them in yeah. mind. Okay, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've actually, I actually. Um, Got, uh, usually what I'm running on presets is three different, three different pup distresses and a howl. And usually the reason I keep a howl on there is a lot of times you've got a coyote that's, uh, moving away from you. He's not spooked running hard that you think, you know, might be able to get stopped that might not stop if you pup distresses. A lot of times you get that preset for some sort of, sort of howl. Like I'm usually keeping like female yodel howls or female, female sword howls. A lot of times you can reach over and hit that preset. For a howl and get the howl and that coyote come out and look for a few seconds for a shot. Yeah, I've noticed your mouth howl too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to stop yep. them sometimes and it seems to work yep. pretty well. I would never thought to yep. do that. <laughs> just yell at them. Yeah, you used to run a, uh, yep, a just kind of, sometimes, sometimes in frantic situations you let out all kinds of sounds. <laughs> you used to run a diaphragm call with your electronic call, right? I still do. Uh, that's actually when I'm howling this time of year, a lot of times I'm doing that just because coyotes, uh, 
lot of coyotes are paired up, so a lot of times I'll let out two or three howls on my diaphragm, and then almost cut myself off, howling back with the, uh, with the fox bow. Cool. That's badass. Yeah. I broke my yeah, diaphragm. A lot, of, a lot of times what you realize this time of year, the coyote, when the coyotes do come to the house, here in my area anyway, it's kind of like this wherever I do hunt. During this time frame, a lot of times the coyotes are showing up, especially if you're just calling in singles. She's a female. And I don't know what your reason is, but I've always kind of figured it must be a female that's coming in to run a uh, other female out of her area so it doesn't get bred. Like a territorial, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like lions, the females do all the hunting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure that could, could be the thing, too. I don't know for sure. <laughs> oh, I, I have no clue. I'm just talking out my ass. The, the couple guys that I know up here that run dogs for coyotes, they all say the females are the meaner. Like, when the dogs, like, get bait up and no stuff, doubt. they say the females are definitely the meaner, like, the more aggressive of the of the two, for sure. I don't know if that's a fact down there, or, or if they're just crazy hillbillies up here like we are, but... Yeah. They, have you ever ran them with dogs, John? Um, I've not, but I have done uh, some of the decoy dog hunting. I don't know if y'all ever watched our videos. Oh, yeah. We usually do it in Kansas. Uh, uh, we usually take... Take like Catahoula dogs out, just one or two. Uh, I got a good buddy named Jeff Ryder, who kind of one of the pioneers in decoy dogging. You're still calling coyotes in, we'll call coyotes in, and the dog will kind of engage them. It's kind of just like a cat and mouse. Hey, I'm going to chase you off for a few yards, and I want to run back. Coyotes chase them type thing. And, you know, uh, Jeff's got his dogs trained on collars, so the dog will engage the coyotes, and he'll tone them back with his collar. The dog will come running back up to us and use a drag, drag the coyotes within feet of us. That's crazy. I've and seen those uh, videos. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And usually it only works. It only works through the summer months, through the beginning months when they've got pups. Okay. Um, what it is is they're just trying to keep, uh, they're wanting to keep those dogs out of their, their area where their pups are. That's what it is. So it's kind of just a territorial thing. Kind of. You know, bluff them to get them to run off. But of course, you still got to call them in at first. And right. uh, just like we was talking about earlier about different sounds, different times of year, that's what we'll call them in on is small puppy sounds and stuff. And, you know, they've got a pretty big uh, paternal instinct. You know, if they're part of a den, they hear pups somewhere like that crying, they're going to run in and see what's going on. If they run in and see another dog there, another canine, there's usually uh, some sort of fight or bluff and trying to get them around out. It's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool interaction usually get to say it's, it's fun, huh? Yeah, it was wild. The night that I went with them, they were, we had three dogs in the woods and the female had, I think, four or five pups. We couldn't see them, but we could hear them. Mm -hmm. And the female actually ran the dogs away from the pups and drew the dogs off of them. And then the yeah. pup, it, yeah. it was actually like kind of wild. Like, wow, these things are like smarter than I think you realize, but then they do crap right. like that, you know. Yeah, it's amazing too. When you run them with the dogs, I mean, open field or anytime you get in the open, those dogs will run the coyotes down. But as soon as the coyotes get inside the wood line, they just have so much of a better wood sense about them. They can get away right, from those dogs right. and they can, they can trick them a lot quicker and a lot easier because mostly they're going up and over and through blowdowns where those dogs are clumsy. But you get in open field. Right. I mean, those dogs can run them down. I've seen them almost yeah. kill them getting tumbles yeah. and. It's freaking exciting, man. That is fun yep. shit. Yeah, that was one of the wildest hunts I've ever been on. I mean, you're running through the woods in pitch black with, you know, 
rifles and you know <laughs> dogs are going up people are going, oh, yeah, yeah we did it in the daytime and it was still a blast just to see them interact yeah. and chase them and then they get yeah. baited up and those dogs get they get pretty tore up but man they love it they, and for as <laughs> small as they are they're beefy and oh you yeah know, some of those ones are mean as hell too. they're really built like chesty yeah it's insane it's cool it's a lot of fun though man that's a, that's a different way of doing it i like to do both i like calling right. them but We've had a lot more success, obviously, running with dogs because all you gotta do right, then is right. ch- you know catch a track and put them on and let them yeah. loose. Yeah, the, dog, the dogs can get there and do all the work. Like you yep. said, it's hard for them to stay away from the dogs. So. Yeah, yeah, especially good dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, we're right about an hour, John. I don't know if you want to give some shout outs to some sponsors or obviously a shout out to your YouTube channel, Tooth and Claw, or uh, or what, what sure. you got here, like for 2021 planned here. If you want to give us a little skinny here, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, I've got a great group of sponsors. We talked about Fox Row earlier. You know, those guys right up there in Pennsylvania, you know, right there in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. they, they are American-made predator calls, and they're excellent. It's cool excellent. country. Mm-hmm. Excellent the company to work with. That's a family-owned company. You know, we don't see it a lot in the outdoor business anymore, so big shout-out to Fox Row. <clears throat> shout-out to Fox Row, just, you know, I couldn't do my job without them. I mean, you know, they always do everything I need them to do, and, and then some. So, big shout out to Fox Crow. Of course, talk about Corey Hager. Actually, if you're looking for a custom rifle, give him a shout. I love following him on Instagram. Oh man, great stuff. Shoot Swagger bipods. You know, it's uh, you're looking for a good versatile bipod. Uh, again, I'll be Swagger. Go check them out. That's another American-made company. Uh, they're actually made right here in Lexington, Kentucky, USA-made. Just a just a lot of great companies I work with. And as far as 2021 goes, we're going to keep grinding, guys. I mean, you got a lot of hunting left. Stack bodies, baby. We're going to be traveling out to Kansas and Oklahoma, probably up Idaho and Oregon back down to Wyoming. And we'll probably down here in the southwest somewhere, a little bit of Arizona. Oh, next damn. Up 2021, so we're going to stay at That's nice. awesome, man. I'm jealous. Yeah. What's your favorite time of year to hunt them? By, just by curiosity. Uh, I like uh, I like November, December, January okay. the best, just because you can get in those family group coyotes like we was talking about, talking about these videos, yeah. little killing quads and stuff like that. And plus, you ain't got to worry about the nasty summer weather and be sweating and sugars chewing on your ankles and snakes <laughs> biting you behind you, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. So I like yeah. uh, I like those fall, late fall, early winter months yeah. is my favorite times. Well, we appreciate the hell out of you, John. I, I really, uh, I, I gained a lot out of this. Like, this you know, is by far our most informational, probably going to be our most informational <laughs> for a while I, here. I'll find myself listening to this one three or four times, taking notes. And Well, maybe we can do it again sometime and I can drink less coffee and, and cut out some of the rambling. And just <laughs> hey, it's if like you don't ramble, Chuck, you will. What's, Facts. <laughs> that's what you were going through my head, so that's what's coming out. <laughs> Yeah, we'll switch that coffee up for some uh, good bourbon, uh, and we'll yeah, go from there. It'll huh? be much more less that, that information. Probably, you probably get some better better information that way. <laughs> more entertaining. <laughs> well, if you're ever up in Pennsylvania, man, stop by. We're uh, we're here. Yes, sir. I'll do it, buddy. All right, man. We appreciate you coming on, guys. Like you said, uh, check out John Sponsors. Check us out on every major podcast app: YouTube, uh, Instagram at Northern Outcast. Check out. Our buddy John Collins and uh, your YouTube channel is what Tooth and Claw, correct? 
got Tooth and Claw TV YouTube channel and Wired Outdoors TV YouTube channel. And plus, you can watch us on Amazon Fire, uh, Amazon Prime, Roku, and Waypoint TV. Oh, yeah, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, like and subscribe and check everybody out. And uh, we'll see you when we see you. Stay the course. Stay the course.